The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By the American Waterworks Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By Can Do, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. And by Xylem, let's solve water. This is session 196. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. We've got a great show coming at you. We have Brent Fuel of Water Finance Exchange. He's been around the water industry for a long time, so you've probably heard of him. Uh, but he does a great interview and he talks about uh, you know explaining why the Water Finance Exchange was and still is needed and what it does, and he provides so much more. So it's just a great interview. You're really going to enjoy it, so stay tuned for Brent. But before we get to that interview, please, please, please join me in thanking our sponsors, Black & Veatch, the American Waterworks Association, Can Do, Woodard & Curran, Interra, and Xylem. These are terrific sponsors. They are market-leading companies in the water sector. And I'd like for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, please thank your contact, thank your boss, at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship, whether that's just thought leadership or water education or whatever, whatever angle you're, you're appreciative of, please let them know. And you would be surprised how that simple note, how far that simple note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know, you appreciate their support of water industry, education and thought leadership. Why not leave a rating and review on Apple podcast, Stitcher, Castbox, or whatever other podcast directory or accessing the podcast on it would be greatly appreciated and of course will help others find out about the podcast now it's on to our feature guest brent fuel of the water finance exchange so let's get that water flowing well brent welcome to the water values podcast great to have you on how you doing well thank you david i'm really pleased to be with you today Terrific. Uh, so, uh, Brent, you are uh, uh, a, a new guest to the podcast. Could you give us a little uh, thumbnail on your background and how you got interested in water? Oh, certainly, David. Well, I'm passionate about water. I'm an environmental lawyer based in the D.C. area. Um, I uh, uh, was a, a young environmental professional uh, many moons ago working at a consulting firm trying to clean up contaminated properties and uh, surface water and, and uh, uh, deal with drinking water contamination and then had the opportunity uh, uh, in the Bush administration to join EPA as the, the uh, uh, deputy assistant administrator for the Office of Water, where I, I helped to oversee the, the drinking water, the, the national drinking water and uh, surface water uh, programs. And so um, uh, throughout my career, I've always uh, uh, really kind of gravitated to water issues and uh, particularly helping communities that are really struggling to um, uh, find a path to 
providing viable drinking water uh, resources. So, you know, it's just, you know, there's so many issues out there right now that communities are facing across the country with the water crisis, uh, as many of uh, know about. And so, um, you know, I'm just really excited to be working with with so many other uh, thoughtful and bright minds to, uh, to to try to bring some some solutions to uh, to the challenges that bear. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, struggling uh, systems, you know, some small and mid sized systems. What what are you doing now to help those uh, small and mid sized systems? So the latest effort that I've been involved with is is launching the Water Finance Exchange, which uh, we launched uh, last fall. It's a 501c3 organization uh, that that I help um, to uh, to run with my colleague uh, Hank Habiton and. Uh, um, the, the sole focus of the Water Finance Exchange is to really be a catalyst uh, for um, new uh, water deals, uh, to develop a water pipeline, so to speak, of, of deals that that will help communities fund their water projects. Uh, as we know, there are hundreds, if not thousands of communities out there right now that are struggling to maintain uh, stormwater, wastewater, drinking water systems. And uh, so the idea behind the Water Finance Exchange is really to identify uh, some communities that, first of all, recognize that they've got a problem and they need help. They need help with uh, uh, finding financing, whether it's uh, public or private financing. And so our goal is to go in and, and work with these communities and advocate on their behalf to, to find sources of funding, but also not just uh, uh, financing, but also uh, to be a, a navigator of sorts and an advisor to them on on helping to address any uh, barriers to getting them kind of through the pre-development stage of their projects so that um, so that they uh, can then um, seek funding and 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 really remove those barriers to whether it's a SRF funding or perhaps even even uh, uh, private se- sector funding for uh, for those projects, right? And so, uh, so does is the water finance exchange is 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 it a kind of a clearinghouse to to get that funding, or is it just a connector? I mean, what 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 exactly is is it? It's yeah, go ahead. It's both. So so uh, we are funded uh, through um, uh, philanthropic uh, sources, um, and these 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 uh, sources. Sources of philanthropic funds are really trying to figure out how best to match uh, philanthropy with public and private financing. So you can, we can really kind of scale up the opportunities to help help these communities. So we do uh, have, uh, you know, folks can find us on our website. We have uh, a letter, um, an application for letters of interest for communities that may be struggling to figure out, you know, how to even um, get out, get off of the, the, you know, the starting block of figuring out what to do next as far as uh, seeking fundings. We're working with a lot of smaller communities, um, although um, o- over time we will be uh, working with with larger communities. Uh, our sweet spot right now is our communities, rural and, and smaller communities between, you know, up to 20 to 30,000, but as small as even three or 4,000 um, uh, uh, connections. So um, we, we, we help these uh, communities kind of identify what their needs are. Um, we don't come in with, we're not selling anything, first of all. And we realize that many of these communities really need a, uh, 
a, a, a trusted advisor and, and team who can help them identify, first of all, what their needs are, what the opportunities that exist out there to help them kind of connect with, whether it's whether it's uh, working with USDA uh, through their uh, uh, rural um, uh, financing programs or uh, the state SRF funds, uh, or even private uh, financiers who are interested in helping these communities. So, so we are we are a connector. We have um, not only a, a a board of directors, but we have uh, advisors uh, who who basically uh, have um, uh, who have many different backgrounds, whether it's a legal background, many of these communities, it, when they're looking at projects, perhaps even regionalizing or or, or uh, connecting with nearby uh, communities will will need legal advice. They will also need financial advice and they will um, engineering. And so our advisors actually work with us to work with these communities, again, to identify first and foremost um, what the uh, what what the challenges are uh, and then what the solutions may be. Yeah. So, uh, Brent, how do you view the challenges faced by these smaller communities? Well, um, as you can um, appreciate, David, they are multivaried, the challenges, and it runs the whole gamut. No community is the same. But, um, you know, first and foremost, communities, many of these communities are struggling to even find the financing. Uh, as as uh, your listeners uh, are well aware, um, you know, there have been a, there's an estimate of a trillion dollar uh, shortfall in, in the amount of funding um, that that we as a nation, um, uh, you know, are investing in, in the communities across uh, the U.S. And so um, many times these communities don't even know where to begin. But like I said, water finance, there's many communities out there. Many of them simply, um, some of them don't um, don't recognize the problem, but many of them do. Uh, many of them are, are beginning to raise their hand and say, listen, we need help. Um, I think historically, one of the challenges, I think the EPA and the states and others uh, who are very um, committed to, to addressing this problem, one of the challenges has been that a lot of these communities have simply, um, many of them have sat back and waited for funding. I mean, one of the biggest challenges that if you talk to the states um, is uh, in the form of grant funding, um, historically, um, uh, EPA over the last 30 or 40 years and the federal government have provided a, a substantial amount of, of subsidies to communities. And I think anytime you've got um, communities who are cash strapped and have lots of um, uh, debt uh, challenges, don't want to go back into, don't want to go deeper into debt or take on additional debt service, uh, or oftentimes kind of wait for those those federal subsidies in the form of grants. As we know, the problem is so large right now that most of those communities, there's simply not enough uh, grant funding out there. And so, so the challenge really is to identify um, alternative sources of funding. And, and again, this can be through SRF, it can be through low interest loans, through USDA, uh, uh, and as well, there are many uh, private uh, uh, banks out there, lenders who are interested and willing to also work with communities with, with low interest loans. So financing is definitely um, one of the challenges that we're seeing. Um, um, I would also say that uh, many of these challenges we have and we see uh, relate to governance. Um, it's so much easier when you have a mayor 
uh, of a small community or or even a large community or even um, uh, you have elected officials um, who who recognize there's a problem and really kind of take on a leadership role to to uh, to work with the communities to to inform them of of the need to uh, invest in their water infrastructure. And as we know, um, water infrastructure is not only about uh, public safety and public health. I mean, we have to have um, viable water systems, uh, whether it's wastewater or drinking water, to ensure public health at the local level. But these but these systems are also um, so intertwined with the economic viability of communities. And if you don't have sustainable, viable water systems, you're not going to have um, a sustainable ec- economic foundation. Yeah, you you mentioned a number of sources of funds. Right now, uh, as as we're talking, there are negotiations going on on the infrastructure bill. There's the uh, uh, Recovery Act uh, funds that are being distributed to, to communities that some of them are considering using for water infrastructure. How does that all relate to, and you know, maybe even by the time this podcast releases, an infrastructure deal has been reached, but. You know, right. Uh, right. Well, David is. Yeah, go ahead. So, so um, Congress is obviously um, recognizes the, the real needs that exist. And so there are significant um, uh, amounts of funds that are being discussed uh, for water. Um, historically, water uh, and wastewater have been uh, like the redheaded stepchildren and haven't always gotten the attention that they deserve when Congress appropriates funds. So we are anticipating um uh, don't know when, but we are anticipating an infrastructure package at some point. Hopefully, uh, Democrats and Republicans can come back together and, and continue to to hammer out a package. Uh, we anticipate uh, once once an infrastructure package is 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 finalized, substantial funds available to to go to communities through the SRF uh, uh, SRFs, state our SRFs. Um, so that's that's all very good. And, and, and I think everyone is supportive of those additional funds. I think probably one thing that I would caution is when, when that happens, when those amounts of funds are, 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 you know, are being discussed, many communities feel like, well, they they can simply just fall in line and and they're going to receive the funds necessary to, to address their problems. And that's not always the case simply because of the enormous uh, needs that exist out there, and I would say that even the funds that Congress eventually delivers uh, for uh, for the nation for water and wastewater simply is going to be a drop in the bucket uh, for what is is ultimately needed. So, and and as we know, many of these communities are simply going to have to make hard decisions. Uh, if there's not enough resources for these communities uh, to upgrade and maintain their systems, many communities are looking at at, at regionalizing and and partnering with with nearby communities and I can give you examples of where we see that happening and that's 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 really a good development uh, as we know the idea of regionalization was was often considered a third rail um, and if you look at the sectors uh, the wastewater and the drinking water sector the wastewater has done a really good uh, job over the years of of actually kind of integrating and in 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 consolidating with approximately fifteen thousand POTWs around the U.S. Whereas on the drinking water side, we're still very fragmented. Um, and last count, I mean, we're upwards of about fifty three thousand public water systems that exist out there. And if you think about that, I mean, that's just an enormous amount of of utilities uh, that exist and. 
you know, many of these utilities are small. The vast majority of them are, are small utilities, small water utilities. And while, you know, that, that um, you know, every community would like to maintain and have its own water system, I think over time what we're re- recognizing is there's simply not the resources available to, uh, to support them all. Yeah, I mean, I, I, when we talk about regionalization, I know that, that like in where I live and work in Indiana, uh, some of the strings that come along with getting SRF funds or things like that are centered around regionalization. You have to participate in, in regional planning opportunities. You have to demonstrate. That's right. You know, do you, does does Water Finance Exchange have anything similar to that where you have you have to at least explore using the funds more efficiently or you know what uh, we, we don't have um you know we 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 have certain metrics that we look for in a community uh that we're seeking to help we certainly want to encourage communities um to be more efficient uh in the way that uh you know that that they they maintain their systems and provide water and wastewater services to to their communities but there's no hard and fast rule for us most of the time, the communities that we uh, deal with and increasingly see are completely open to to doing things differently. Um, and as we know, for a lot of these communities who are in the process of rebuilding, we really want to rebuild them to be utilities of the future, um, and 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 not simply just to uh, do more of the same rebuilding, and then another thirty years, forty years these communities are coming back to 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 the federal government, to, and you know, in 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 asking for, you know, and needing um, uh, large capital infusions. So what we what we ask of the communities that we work with is that they remain open to to new approaches, whether it's uh, a change in governance structures. Uh, for example, um, uh, your listeners may, may be familiar with EJ Water and Bill Teichmiller and his group, uh, water co-ops. Um, you know, the electric uh, electricity um, uh, field um, co-ops have been very popular over time. Um, but they haven't been so um, popular in the water sector. So increasingly, we're seeing an interest in a lot of communities, uh, perhaps um, uh, participate in and engage in water cooperative, which can help share the cost and the burden of maintaining these systems. Um, and there's so there's a number of different models that exist for these communities that are struggling. And so so. Many times, uh, those those new governance structures need to be put in place at the same time as as new funding sources. Uh, so, um, um, so there are a lot of new developments out there, and it's it's very exciting. But but communities have to be open to change, and change, as we know, change is not always easy uh, for for uh, communities. Yeah, yeah, especially when you talk about regionaliz- regionalization and communities start feeling like they're going to lose their identity if they sell or merge, absolutely, or anything like that. Uh, any any thoughts exactly on right. getting getting over that hump? Well, I think um, you're right that many communities um, are, are you know have historically wanted to maintain those systems, their identity, and also control control over over drinking water systems and wastewater systems has been very important historically. And I think what we're seeing is simply. Um, as regulations become more complex, more costly, communities are, are recognizing that uh, in many cases, they simply don't have the resources. Many of them are simply throwing up their hands saying, you know, we, we're done producing water or wastewater. We really want somebody else to come in and manage this. And and what I would say is, um, 
many of these communities, you know, the water co-ops are fantastic because they can share um, share resources and share the burden. Um, and while there has been, you know, um, uh, some uh, communities may be more reluctant to to look at private water providers. There are tremendous uh, investor-owned and private water companies out there that that can, if a community can work with communities to to help them uh, again manage their water resources in a more cost-effective manner. Um, so. Um, so there's just, you know, there's many different uh, options that exist out there um, that communities uh, need to begin to understand and, and explore. And like I said, there's there's never one size fits all. Um, and and the regionalization, you can't always regionalize uh, in some, uh, you know, can't always, regionalization is, is not uh, one size fits all because there may be some communities that are too far uh, you know, distance-wise from the another community to regionalize, but increasingly there are opportunities. So we're seeing it in the Midwest. A lot of the communities out there that are smaller and are seeing uh, a decline in, in in their population and their taxpayer base uh, are recognizing that financially they simply just cannot continue to to do the same thing over and over again. So they're beginning to explore. And the good news is is that. Uh, the, the public resources like the SRF, CPA, and USDA, um, you know, are putting more money towards um, regionalization in those communities that that are wanting to pool their resources with with nearby communities, and you know, long term, that's going to be um, that's going to be a uh, you know, it's it's going to be a strength to those communities that do that simply because in many cases we we recognize that regionalization can also help with attracting. Um, uh, more businesses and and you know helping to to boost the the local economies not only at the local level but the regional level. Yeah, I you know I I agree with you that that a lot of smaller communities are exploring the the you know regionalization approach and um, what I've noticed is that sometimes the communities wait too long until their backs are against the wall and then it it it's the the benefits they could have achieved if they'd explored it earlier have dissipated somewhat uh, just, well, because, just because of the... Go that's on, sorry. exactly right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, that's no problem. Um, and so uh, I, I I think I like your approach of, of helping, you know, getting folks to to make sure they're open to regionalization so that they can take advantage of the opportunities when they arise rather than kind of saying, no, we want to... Uh, hold off and, and it, then it might get too late where the, the, the it's going to be such an expensive fix that it can't be supported by the, the ratepayer base. That, that's right. I mean, the expenses, but not only that, uh, David, as you're aware, many of these communities are struggling with compliance and many of them are in, in significant non, either non-compliance or significant non-compliance. And, and um, if you go to EPA's um, uh, database echo, um, you'll, you'll, you'll discover that there are over 3,000 uh, public water systems in the U.S. that are in significant noncompliance. Many of these are smaller, um, but they, they can, can span um, the whole gamut, including very large systems. And as we recognize systems that are in noncompliance, um, uh, really put the the public health at risk, um, and and so there's going to be uh, an increased focus by EPA and the states to 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 um, 
urge and compel these communities that are in non-compliance to find a way out to do something differently. We can no longer just kick the can down the road. And, you know, many of these communities are, have been struggling to do the right thing. And they just, you know, um, it, it, it takes a little bit of courage to reach out to to um, to somebody um, else and say, listen, we, we, we've, we've tried. We can't do it. We need additional support, technical resources, financial resources, but we're committed to doing the right thing. And I think, you know, what I'm excited about are we're starting to see more communities be very proactive and raise their hand. You know, for the longest time, a lot of communities would simply just keep their heads down in the bunker and, you know, they, um, you know, would not be proactive uh, at, at finding solutions simply because they were scared to take on either more debt or they didn't know where to even begin the process of seeking uh, seeking help. And so that's where the water finance exchange, that's kind of where we think uh, the model that we uh, have uh, can help that and it can connect, um, you know, these communities to the resources that they, they might need. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. Yeah. In Illinois, we're helping um, five communities actually regionalize uh, small communities and um, you know, many many of your listeners are, are familiar with the Flint uh, crisis and the the you know and the uh, the lead in drinking water. It's been it's, it's a big issue with many communities. And after Flint occurred, um, there was um, obviously a greater focus on those communities where where elevated lead in drinking water could be could be an issue. And and so. Um, what happened were states began to to impose more uh, regulations and requirements on communities that were seeking to change their water sources. And when you regionalize, you're obviously some of the communities are changing their sources of water. So that raises concerns about, well, what's the effect of the new water source on the pipes and the potential for increased lead? Um, what we began to see happen in some of these states was, um, you know, a greater focus by the regulators, but also greater delay in decisions simply because the regulators uh, were not always uh, certain to clear about the impacts of changing water sources. And they were, um, and they are, many states are requiring more control, corrosion control studies as, as EPA is through, through new rulemaking. And that's all uh, good, but the delay that we started to see in, in um, states making decisions to approve new water sources and approve regionalization, the delay became has become a real problem. So what we did with these communities is actually reached out to EPA. We reached out to, to, to AWWA and said, listen, can you... Um, you know, work with WFX in these communities and even the state to identify uh, ways to to um, facilitate and to expedite regionalization um, without, you know, without the risks of, you know, without foregoing the, the precautions necessary to evaluate new water sources and the potential risks of lead. And so, you know, we, we, we have started that process in this, um, you know, in this regionalization project in, in Illinois that we're, we're happy to, to, to support. Um, so WFX is not only, you know, there to help provide um, ideas and potential solutions on financing, we're also there to, to, to just re help remove barriers. And, and in many cases, a lot of these communities that we see, you know, have gotten to like the, the, the five yard line with, with, with their projects and they simply just can't uh, finish um, you know, getting, uh, you know, 
pushing the ball uh, across the end zone to get the financing in order to attract the financing necessary. And so, you know, we, we, we continue to look for those communities again, that, that, that recognize they have a problem and, and are wanting, uh, wanting some help to, to get it across the finish line. Right. Right. Uh, you said you started last fall. What, what kind of lessons have you learned um, over the last, you know, nine months or so? Well, I think, um, Probably what we've we've recognized is that well, and we kind of knew this coming in, but we really kind of it reinforced every community is different, um, and so the needs are different, uh, the personalities are different, um, the the amount of internal resources and, and understanding of the challenges and the opportunities are different. Um, uh, we we also recognize the need for pre development funds that many of these communities um, uh, simply. Um, didn't even have the resources to pursue SRF uh, funding. And so we've spent a lot of time educating ourselves, uh, talking with the state SRFs, with USDA and the EPA. Um, and, you know, what I would also say is, you know, we, we're not there to displace any uh, institution or or existing organization. There are many fine organizations out there that are focusing on the same things we are. We simply want to continue to, to be a resource and work with the existing uh, sources that exist out there and to, to simply help them, whether it's the SRFs. Um, so what we recognized too, and another thing we learned was uh, so many of these uh, communities that applied for S- SRF funds or USDA funds uh, simply um, kind of fall through the cracks. They apply and, you know, year after year, um, there's, there's no funding available uh, for them. Or in some cases, in some states, we we have an over, we, there's an oversubscription of the SRFs in some states, and and in other states, um, you know, they're trying to get more communities to sign up, and so you know, part of that is kind of educating communities on what they need to do in order to you know to seek uh, uh, public uh, financing. Awesome. Well, Brent, you've been you've been awesome. I, I think this uh, water finance exchange idea is a great one, and it's been it's been tremendous talking with you. Uh, what what would your what would your leave behind message be? Leave behind message would be um, it really um, is going to take uh, leadership. So those David like you and in in what you do through this podcast, it's going to take education and leadership of those that are passionate about this to to work together. I think you know historically, David, as you you can appreciate, the the water sector has been very siloed. So we've had uh, wastewater, drinking water, and privates, and publics, and rurals, and urbans, and you know we ultimately need to break down those barriers and recognize that um, you know the sole focus and goal is to provide safe, clean water to these communities, and how do we do it most cost effectively? And I think to finally get um, get things accomplished. Um, we've got to do it together. So collaboration um, is is going to be really key. And I think um, lastly, what I would say is, are the communities that um, uh, you uh, have connections to need to reach out. I mean, many of your sponsors, you know, the A&E firms that, that support your podcast and are working in, in, in the water sector day in, day out, um, you know, need to, uh, uh, need to continue to collaborate with those other resources that exist that can help all of us kind of, um, um, you know, put our shoulder uh, to, to the millstone and, and really, you know, just grind, grind this out until we can help these communities fix the problems. 
Yeah, it, there's a there's a lot of work to be done. You're absolutely right, it, and it's going to take a coordinated uh, effort uh, with a lot of different parties involved. So I I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it really is overwhelming at times if people kind of sit back. But I do think that you know we can you know community by community we can we can fix this problem. Yeah, amen. Uh, well, Brent, again, you've been you've been terrific. I really appreciate you taking the oppor- the time to speak with me today, and thank you so much. For those who want to find out more about you and more about the Water Finance Exchange, where can they go to get that information? David, folks can find out more about us online at uh, waterfx.org. That's waterfx.org, and they can find information about us and also information about submitting uh, a application for letter of interest for those that may be interested in in our services. Awesome. Well, Brent, thank you again for coming on. You've been terrific, and I hope you have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, David. Appreciate your time. Uh-huh. Bye. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that interview with Brent. He's terrific, uh, very knowledgeable, great and important work that he and others at Water Finance Exchange are doing. And with the water infrastructure, or with the, I shouldn't say water infrastructure bill, with the infrastructure bill that has passed the Senate now and is soon to be taken up by the House, I've already seen utilities and not just utilities, really. It's more like units of government, municipalities, counties, uh, quasi-governmental entities, et cetera, making preparations to get it, their share of money that's going to be flowing when the spigot turns on. So they're getting their lobbyists lined up. Things are moving, and people are starting to get in line. And so uh, uh, inevitably, if that if the bill passes, assuming it does, there's going to be those that get the money, and there's going to be those that don't. And the valuable services provided by Water Finance Exchange are really going to be needed by those that are not getting uh, their share of the funds. So I'd love to know what you thought about the interview. Please check out the show notes for this page. You can just Google the Water Values Podcast and click the first link that comes up. That'll take you to the landing page uh, that, uh, that where we live on the web, thanks to Bluefield Research, who kind of hosts our home on the web. Again, Bluefield Research and the Water Values Podcast are separate and independent entities. We are not one and the same. We are separate. We just have kind of a joint marketing arrangement. Um, again, just Google the Water Values Podcast. Click the first link that comes up. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag Water, Value, water Values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter again at the landing page uh, for the Water Values Podcast. Uh, you can also check out our uh, LinkedIn page, join the group. Uh, it's pretty simple. Just you know, search for the Water Values Podcast. It should show up, and we'd love to have you in the community. Uh, <clears throat> so thank you again for tuning in, and a huge, huge, huge thank you to again to our sponsors. The 2021 sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include, again, Black & Veatch, the American Waterworks Association, Can Do, Woodard & Curran, Intera, and Xylem. Great companies, and we greatly appreciate their support of water industry, thought leadership, and water industry education. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it.
You've been listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.